Welcome to the Holy Smokes Podcast, a show about faith, friendship, fine tobacco, and drink. I'm Steve Ryder in the Lion's Den in Monument, Colorado, and I have a brand new Holy Smoker and Rick Stussy, a great Castle Rock Holy Smoker. And he called me up and he was like, you got to meet Jimmy. You got to meet Jimmy. Jimmy's got a crazy story. So we jumped on a call and we talked a little bit about your story. And I was like, oh, frick, I really got to get this guy on. So Jimmy Graham, welcome to the Holy Smokes podcast, you, my bro. man. Thank you. This is cool, man. This is a relaxed setting. So just listening to you finish up a podcast is the most chill part of my probably week. <laughs> That's beautiful. I try and try and just have a nice, just a nice, easy conversation with people. So Jimmy, where'd you grow up? Grew up in Kansas City, Missouri. Kansas City, Missouri, near the airport. MCI and um, yeah, heart of America, Midwest. Kansas City is a cool last town. It is cool for for a town without mountains. It's one of the few that I think I would consider if I had to live somewhere with that there were no mountains. Kansas City is just a beautiful right. town and all those fountains and just yeah. Kaufman Jazz and barbecue. Kaufman Stadium is such a beautiful ballpark. This gorgeous ballpark. And I went to a game at Arrowhead last year too for the first time. And so, yeah. Yeah, lack of mountains is why they lost me. <laughs> <laughs> Once you get to the West, man, I was called to Montana and we, we settled here for family. And uh, man, I'm, I'm in. I'm in. Rocky Mountains is where it's at. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, what kind of a kid were you? I was a mess, man. I was, I was a good kid, I think, coming up. <clears throat> Parents got divorced when I was uh, pretty young, dad got remarried. And I think I was a, a pretty good kid until high school. I kind of lost my mind. How so? Chip on the shoulder. I think now, after a lifetime to process, I think it's, you know, insecurity of afraid of being one way, so pendulum swinging the other way, you know? And, and then, like, in fr- fear of being weak makes you overly strong, right? Like, like got to prove it. You're like, what'd you say to me kind of thing? And uh, that, there's, nowhere, there's nowhere good in that. What so, were you afraid of? I was a horrible student, and then I was, I was kind of... I was I was witty, yeah. which which is makes you good if you need to or to reduce somebody to ash with your words. Yeah. So I could do that, and then physically, I uh, I uh, started training at an early age with my hands and feet, and uh, you mix that with a little chip on the shoulder, and it's just not good. Mm. Playing the sports? I played, I guess, Pop Warner type football, wrestled in in high school, and then kind of just lost the discipline of, of, of sport that, 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 that sports takes. You know, I just kind of went searching for bad stuff. Like into, into Kansas City proper, you know, I was in the suburbs growing up and going into the city looking for excitement. I know I, 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 know I now that I needed to see that to know that if a young man has this energy, if it's not actively turned toward good, it'll default to bad. Yeah. And I, I let it default to bad. How so? Like, what were you getting into? Meaning I can remember being in, you know, with a, um, a Mexican family that kind of, I grew up alongside and the son there, like going into the city to pursue. I, I just remember at one point being like a kid, like a teenager and being in a room with like weed and guns on the table. And it was exciting. And he was kind of tied into gang life. And I was kind of along for the ride and kind of looking for something. Mm. Uh, thankfully never, you know, joined into that lifestyle, but was right on the, right on the edge of it. I think I had an, enough sense from being saved at a young age, 10. I used to think that, that, that it didn't take because I didn't understand. Now I, I believe that it truly did. I was just a kid and my grandmother's prayers kept me from going Ooh. over that edge, right? It was right on the edge, but not stepping over until later. And I did, I got in a uh, fight in high school and in, in senior week 
and uh, over a girl, because it's always over a girl, and hit a kid. You know, it was a mutual kind of facing off in the backyard, uh, but hit him hard and hit him good. And when the battle lost the war, it broke a bone, which makes it a felony charge. Oh, geez. Never a conviction, but right there, and you know, um, and, and then don't, don't understand what that really means because you're just a kid full of energy. It falls down, gets up, face is kind of jacked up or whatever, ready break. And then months later, the sheriff comes looking for you on charges that you got to now face. And, now, and you're 18, barely. So as a man, you're looking at some real consequences. And wow. you know, my family didn't have money. So it, was, it wasn't like get a lawyer and, and it was public defender and you know, pray a bunch and, and here it is. And what happened with that? Plead the deal in order to have a clean future way down the road. <laughs> uh, but went in, they had a thing called shock time where they were trying with young people and you just kind of had to scare you straight to where you'd come in on the weekends and um, literally from high school go in and, and Saturday, Sunday in jail and then see you next week to kind of scare you straight. But I also had restitution payments to pay to his family for their insurance quotas or something like that. And I had to work um, on the weekends because due to due to that and some other things, I didn't graduate on time. I was that <clears throat> I was that dead man walking. You know the the guy who's um, picking up credits the the year after. You know what I mean to come back. And the first adult decision I made in my life was asking the judge, "Can I do all ten days in a row? I can't do this weekend thing." And he's like, "Do you know what you're asking me? You're going to, go to county big boy jail for ten straight days." I was like, "I don't really have a choice." So that's what I want to do, <clears throat> and I did. And when it's cool hanging out in this room with you guys yeah. until you say, I can't leave, right? So that, that woke me up a little bit. Like you, you cannot go out that door. It, that, that affects you in a way where you're like, man, I need to get right. So I uh, so had to go through that for a while. So I didn't go into the military as a 17 or 18 year old. I went in as like a 21 year old because I, I had to sort through all that. That had to be resolved before I could yeah. go and challenge myself with the SEAL teams. So let's get back to your grandma. Yeah. How impactful was she? And, and t tell me about your, your fake, your conversion experience at 10. At 10, you know, I had a moment when I, I remember walking up and, and seeing, you know, um, being explained Christ and how, you know, that, that decision, that conversion in your life is, is going to get you into eternity. And I believe I understood that, but you're 10, you know what I mean? So yeah. I remember going up and going through the motions and doing all yeah. that. But then I questioned it later saying, man, I was 10. Who knows what they're doing at 10, yeah. you know? But there's just been too many times in my life where it was just one little movement, left, not right, or right, not left, and, and people died, you know? Yeah. And it's happened over and over again. And like, and that's, and then going home and, and you know, my grandma, when, when, when she was still with us, literally saying, I pray for you every single day. And then at one point going, I know, mm. I got now. Because there's no other explanation. Yeah. Yeah. So you go to the military at 21. What were your yeah. goals when you went in? Grow up. Um, challenge yourself with something that's real. Like, what, what is a man? Let's go find out. Um, chased it down the wrong road many, many times, trying to find that thing. Almost like that movie Platoon, where there's the Elias and Barnes, if you're familiar with that. You know, one, one good, one bad. But none, none, neither really good, but one not as bad, one really bad and was attracted to the really bad kind of tough guy thing, you know? So a lot of time going down that road, a lot of time wasted. Yeah. I see now invested, but, but yeah. yeah. So tell me about your early military career. Where, where'd you go? You chose the Navy? Chose the Navy. Why? That's a good question. I forgot this part until you just asked that, is 
I actually enlisted in the Marine Corps because my brother was a Marine. And when they see the younger brother, they go after the, you know, they see the older brother, they go after the younger brother. Like, hey, hey, what are you thinking? You know, they just plant that seed early. And um, that whole mix up, you know, with that, that high school backyard fight, Changed all that because you can. I was in the late entry program, and you can only stay in that for 365 days. And after that, they have to discharge you, reenlist you. But by then, I was like, man, I haven't really done my due diligence and gone to every branch. So I literally went to every branch. They had to discharge me. And I'm like, hold on a second. Before we reenlist, let me go talk to these other guys. And while I was sorting through that part of my life, I went to the Army, Navy, Air Force, Marine Corps, Corps, and uh, Coast Guard and talked to all of them. Said, what do you what do you have to offer? What's your what's your toughest thing? Your most elite thing? And um, an army guy actually told me the seal t- about the seal teams. Really? And I was like, what? Cause I was, I was going to go into like either Rangers or, or Green Beret special forces. <clears throat> and he, um, he was honest, <laughs> which is not really, you know, when you think recruiter, it's all true. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like they're trying to get their quotas. And I think back and I wish I could remember this guy because I, I was a lifeguard at the time at a local, you know, water park or whatever. And I said, um, I told him, I was like, you know, something about the water. You know, so guns and explosives, and I need discipline, and I need to I need to really push myself and find out what I'm made of. And and something intrigued him about the SEAL teams. Like, have you heard of the SEAL teams? Because we we do water stuff, but they are the water. You know, I was like, hmm. You know, and being from, I was always intrigued by the ocean, and, and being from Kansas City, Missouri, man, you can go left or right, and you're going about equal distance before you find ocean, right? I mean, yeah. it's right in the middle. Um, and I was intrigued by the ocean, and I, you know, that even even guns. I grew up hunting and all that, but I didn't know much about them. But you, I, and I, I don't know that I'd seen the SEAL stuff but something intrigued me when he told me about it i went back to the navy because the navy i didn't even tell me about seal teams didn't know much about it and he pulled out a pamphlet he's like hold on a second we did get something on that and when he pulled it out and i flipped through it i was kind of hooked it's like mm-hmm. this is the best and this is this and explosives and the history of world war ii and the udt frogmen and all this stuff i'm like man this is i think this is it you know so ended up enlisting and, and going down that road so how long before you went to SEAL training? Everybody goes to boot camp yeah. in Great Lakes and then off to a, a, an A school in Mississippi. <laughs> and I was, everybody can, you can get guaranteed an attempt that you don't get, nobody gets guaranteed that they're going to be a SEAL, right? I can, so I, I negotiated that with um, straight in, like you boot camp, A school, right to buds. So that would have been 96. Um, early in the year '96, and um, and made it through by the grace of God the first time without getting hurt or, or ringing the bell. So, I just went back two weeks ago, and it was an emotional experience. I didn't expect that. Right? Really? Yeah, also, I, I was back in I was back in San Diego. I was speaking. I was doing a public speaking engagement uh, further inland, but I flew into San Diego, and I got there the night before. I didn't have to check in. I just had to like kind of touch base with them in the morning, and then get ready to do the speaking engagement. Flying in San Diego. Got an Uber, I'm driving out there, and it, before he turns left to go inland, I see that Coronado Bay Bridge. I'm like, "Hey, brother, banger right." You know, I don't know how this works because I've already plugged in where yeah. I'm going. Because we go wherever we want. I'm gonna take me to McPee's, and that's that's a traditional Navy Seal bar. And then Danny's is right down the street. A lot of history and um, and in photos of seals that have that have fallen since the inception of the Seal teams. Mm. And 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 I said, uh, went to McPee's and said, "Hey." Uh, Bud's class 208, which tells him right now, like, hey, Navy SEAL, and this is his rough timeline. Um, I got some bags. Can I keep them here? I need to go for a walk. And he's like, your bags will be safe, right? Oh, <laughs> Put them right over there. That's there cool. Nobody's touching your bags. Yeah. And I just walked. And I just walked those beaches, and I walked Coronado. And, uh, and it, was, it, was, it was cool. 
we hear all the time about how elite the SEALs teams are and how close that brotherhood is. Let's talk about that time that you were in Buds. Mm -hmm. What was that like for you? It was amazing. Like looking back on it, it's amazing. But by but then it's just like you're like you go for it. It's a roller coaster. Like um, the man who shot Osama bin Laden, Rob O'Neill. You know, was in my buds class. Other guys were. You know, um, you're a bunch of young guys trying to get after it for all the right reasons. I literally came into the Navy on a stack of waivers. Like you will not act like this. You will not. You do this. this won't punch people for the whatever. And then you go in there thinking that you're some kind of outcast because you're like, man, I just got to find where I fit. And then you show up with a bunch of dudes that came in on a stack of waivers that are trying to find where they fit. So you're like, these are my, man, these are my brothers from day one. I'm like, here we are. Yeah. And then you're pushing yourself to do things that I tell people, Bud's taught me that there's, everybody's got a one to 10 scale, right? Of one sitting here chilling with you, 10 would be the hardest thing you've done in your life. There's a whole other scale behind that that most people will never find. And that's what it showed me. It's like, man, there's a whole other scale that your body, your mind can make your body. And people say it's all mental. You can make your body do anything. I disagree. Sometimes your body just gives out, right? <clears throat> so yeah. you have to be physically strong and prepared, but then mentally you can push that way, way further. You would have stopped like, you know, hell week, you're done on night two. Like muscle fatigue, I'm done. And then you go three more days without sleep. So it's just, it's insane and super cool. And when you share that with a group of people <clears throat> and you get into a pay in advance kind of culture, it's amazing because now there's this rite of passage and now you're in. And they really do take care of one another once you've paid that and said, I'd rather die than not be in this group, you're in. What do you mean pay in advance? Meaning that BUDS is, is one of those things that if you can make it through that, because most don't, you know, so I've heard 70, 75, 80% attrition rate. I would agree with that uh, by, by just seeing people go away. I've seen people underwater swimming to where it's almost, as far, it's almost further than is possible on breath holds, right? And guys reaching for that wall, they're almost there. And then they just, they just, they're out. They go fully unconscious and a hand reaches down and grabs their wrist, pulls them into the wall and said, congratulations, you made it. And they got to wake back up because because they'd rather see, I'd rather die in this pool than not be a part of this deal, mm. right? Because it just shows that you'll push further than anybody else to do what's needed. Because all they're doing is saying, hey man, you might be in a spot where <laughs> your, your brothers need you. And if you're going to tap out because it's hard, then man, why don't you stay home, you know? Yeah. What kept you in from tapping out? Ringing the, ring the bell. People are like, you're, you must be so tough. I'm like, I'm stubborn. If I see people doing something, I'm like, hey, well, how, how come he's here? Which means it can be done. You know, it's just, there's a sermon that I was listening to recently. And my pastor was talking about this when, the, you know, the four minute mile, it was undoable until somebody did it. And then somebody goes, oh, it can be done. Right. And then 40 something people did it the next year. Yeah. Right. So, so that thing you look over and you see people like, this is horrible. It's the worst thing, worst decision I've ever made while you're sitting there in the ocean and you're freezing and you're literally can't control yourself. You're like, well, how are they sitting here? You're like, all right, well, I guess this is what we do. And you just do that every day until they tell you to go home, right? Mm. And then, hey, now take some leave and then show up at airborne school. And you're like, all right. It's amazing what we'll get used to, right? We can get accustomed to. And I remember leaving, checking the rearview mirror, going, are we, I can really just drive away? Because you get institutionalized. You're like, just drive away. Just go to go home for a while. And they're like, yeah, good job. <laughs> Where did that stubbornness come from? Man, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I now see all these these things different at 49 years old, looking back, you know, talking about how this was already written. This was already a thing. And um, I don't know that my dad was, uh, you know, and when I say stubborn, I don't mean like a, a negative thing. I think one of the best things about Jimmy Graham and Rachel Graham, my, my wife, is we're stubborn. And now as we're heading into these uncertain times, it's needed desperately. Like, and now people are, you know, 
like I'm being counseled right now. We can get into that later. But but um, and that thing that where you just where I'm a trainer now, and to say that I say the thing I can I can <laughs> train you in all this stuff, but the thing I can't give you is grit, right? You've got to you've got to bring that. That's just real. So if you're in martial arts or shooting or doing all this other stuff, or I'm training cops or I'm training soccer moms that have never touched a gun, um, this is these are all steps. But if if you're ever attacked, you need to dig deep and find grit, and that I can't give you. You know, I can trigger it. Like if I know if you're most women, if you mention their kids, it triggers it, right? And they go, "What'd you say?" And I'm like, "That." <laughs> that guys can tap in a little bit better, but when I'm like, ah, you know, it's not that big deal, and I mean, nobody's gonna hurt me, or whatever. When somebody touches your kid, don't touch my kids. I'm like, there we go, there we go. <laughs> let's push through that one and let's get to there and start training. I've been told you have some crazy ass stories from your years as a SEAL. Yeah, it's it's you know, I wasn't. It's it's not like the uh, the movies, like the combat. You know, like I, I wasn't a combat vet, meaning that there's certain criteria for that. Uh, and then went work for the CIA and the CIA stuff was actually way sketchier really? military time, you know? So I, I wanna give credit where credit's due, the guys that have earned that, you know, I, um, I've got medals and all this stuff, but the one that I'm most proud of is for saving a life, not taking a life, you know, where, where you had to put yourself in, in danger where you're maybe or probably gonna die to save a guy and then you don't. That's, that means a lot, you know? Um, mm. and, and, uh, and going all over the world, it, it's just, Man, you, there's parts you miss, and people say you've you've kind of created what you needed. And I'm like, yeah, I think I I think I have, you know, because I, you know, a lot of guys get out of the military and they don't know what they're going to do, and you look at what's available and nothing fits, you know. And it's pretty cool that God created the thing, and now I I can't believe I wouldn't have known to pray for this. I wouldn't have known that you can create a community and you can you can um you can help churches, schools, civic groups, families plan to be safer and then go do adventures with them to bond them together and then provide a real capability where if something comes in the door, they believe and they're right that they could actually say to get to them, you gotta go through me and then and then mean it, have it be real. I see a lot of just rubber stamp, you know, this and that, even with law enforcement, like a lot of those criteria, they're not real. And then you see it in Uvalde, Texas or in Parkland, Florida. And I'm like, man, that was never a real thing. You mm-hmm. know, you hid behind a thing and then evil showed up and you weren't ready and you, you knew it but the world thought you were. Well, it's test day and you failed, and that's unfortunate, mm. right? Mm. How long were you in the Navy? I was in active duty for a little over eight years, stayed reserves for another seven. Um, that overlapped with um, the, the CIA stuff and being a bodyguard, and uh, it's called GRS, Global Response Staff. There's a movie, 13 Hours, that highlights that. That was actually my team, uh, Benghazi, Libya. Yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah. So uh, I, I skipped a step. Right in between, when I got out of active duty, there was a company called Blackwater USA. I don't know yeah, if you've heard I of- I remember Blackwater. Okay, yeah. Before anybody ever heard of Blackwater USA, I did a two-month deployment with them just to go get a paycheck, learn about that that deal. Back then, they were actually pretty, pretty squared away, meaning that they were bringing in SEALs and Special Forces folks to go do a job overseas to support the, the government. And the first thing that made the news on that was- um, four American contractors being killed. Their bodies were set on fire. I mean, they were burned alive. And then they were drugged through the streets of Fallujah and hung from a bridge over the Euphrates. And I was on that detail. Not not the mission, but I was on the phone trying to find those guys. I'm like, where where are these guys? Right, and they're not checking in and doing all that. And they were were ambushed and murdered. How was that? It was was insane in that. um, You know, when you go over and do something like that, you kind of, you accept there's there's um, there's calculated risks, right? 
part of that's sexy. Like you kind of want to go, you're like, ooh, man, we're hanging it out. And everybody kind of talked that up, but it's, it's real, right? So I think that some people um, took that more seriously than others. But then when you lose guys, it was kind of like, we didn't know. And then their families start dishonoring them by saying they were wronged and they didn't have adequate this and that. We all knew that, you know? So there's, a, I'm in a book somewhere about this. And, uh, and one of the seals that died, and I won't, I won't say his name because it's just, it was a negative experience. But um, that kind of, um, you know, um, showboat kind of thing doesn't really fly out there. And then once, like I pray to God that if it's something ever happens to me and, you know, when I'm, when I'm out there doing my thing, that my family doesn't dishonor me by, by coming in and saying I didn't know what I was doing, you know, or that I got a bad deal or something like that. It's just not, mm-hmm. it's not true and it's not healthy. But when that happened, it reminded me very quickly that you can be in these environments with the same stuff with whether they're armored cars or thin skin or the guns or whatever you can have all the stuff but it was it was so disgusting that the the brotherhood wasn't there the camaraderie wasn't there and so we got all the toys but man i don't trust you and that's everything right you're gonna ask me to go out there and i i don't one you've never you haven't proven what this guy's proven and uh and if we get in it i have no idea what you'll do and i'm actually just from talking to you for the past five days I don't think you're going to be there for me. And that's all of it. Like that's, it's bad. And it was the longest, my friends know this. They were checking on me because of the way I was speaking and everything, man, you're not you, you're something's wrong. Are you okay? I'm like, man, I'm not okay. This is the longest two months of my life. I sold my soul for money. This will never happen again. Wow. Yeah. How did that experience affect you? And then the aftermath of being questioned so publicly? It was, um, I, I needed a, probably the best decision of my life was to just turn down a, um, a promotion with them to go. Um, I was going to work in the Little Birds as I was a sniper and I was going to uh, door, be a door gunner. I was also uh, carried a uh, machine gun and, and you know, either a, a sniper platform or a belt fed platform in those helicopters. I'm like, hey, maybe I can just get away from the people and go hang out and do that because it is a noble saving people, obviously. But, but I don't trust the company anymore, right? This isn't, this is dirty now, right? So mm-hmm. I was like, I just hit control, alt, delete. And I've been called to Montana many times in my life. And I was like, I'm going to go home, pick up my dog and point my truck to Montana. And that's exactly what I did. And for, for about five weeks, I went, hung out in the mountains. I read, I, uh, three weeks up there, <laughs> just straight thinking I wanted to, um, you know, use some of that money from contracting to uh, maybe get a cabin, piece of land, something like that, or at least start that deal, go to uh, find, tap into one of the college towns and pursue maybe forest service, maybe smoke jumper, that kind of thing. And I, was, I went and talked to those guys and I just went out there. And then after three weeks, I saw that um, the year before I'd gone to a guide school and done the first, the basic part, I was going to go back and do the advanced part and do uh, be uh, a certified mountain guide. That was actually here in Colorado. So I um, called the guy, his name's Gary Jordan. And I said, Hey, uh, I'm up in Montana, just doing some soul searching. I see you got an advanced course coming up. I want to come down and complete. But I got my dog with me. He's like, man, if it's your dog, Jimmy, I'm sure he's well behaved. Bring it. So I went down. So a total of five weeks in the Rocky Mountains is therapy. And it was just, it was the right thing to do. It was so good. So how'd you end up in the CIA then? So I was training SEALs. I got a job offer, went back. and was training SEALs on the East Coast. Cross-trained with a company called CQD that was also training the CIA. 
couple guys pulled me outside and said, hey, can I talk to you? And it's funny because we usually, when guys are like, can I talk to you? You're like, what's going on? You hear the rigor tape, you know, whatever. <laughs> so I go outside and I'm like, and you know, doing the whole kind of fighting stance being funny. And I'm like, all right, you know, big ones line up, little ones pair up. What are we doing here? <laughs> and, he, and they go, uh, they were like, no, we want to approach you about working for us. Cause uh, there's a, you know, we, we've seen the way you teach and, you know, um, you know, professionally and then respectfully and, but, but very serious about what I do. And they said, uh, would you, would you consider this? And I was like, well, tell me about it. And, and at that time I'd moved back to Virginia and, um, how old were you at the time? I was, oh man, I'm guessing tw- late twenties. Yeah. And they said something that I needed to hear was you can live wherever you want. We'll fly you in. You'll be training people to go be bodyguards for the CIA. You'll deploy about once a year, give or take. Um, to just make sure that what we're teaching is, you know, it's current finger on the pulse kind of thing. And I'm like, live wherever I want. I'm like, I could live in Montana. And they're like, you live in Montana. We'll fly you, fly in, you know, do all that. And I'm like, so I met with, you know, met with the boss, name was Mike. Went out and met with, and it was like a movie. It was like Chini, a cheesy, you know, Chinese restaurant in a strip mall. Yeah. And we're sitting there doing the thing, talking about this stuff. And I'm like, this is so surreal, but kind of cool. And I'd put paperwork yeah. in um, with the agency before when I took the Blackwater thing, but it takes forever. Now they're asking, hey, well, you want a fast track? Because we now we're picking you. Before you were, you're, a, you're, you're on the stack, yeah. but we're going to put it on top and then approve it if you say yes. So I said yes and then started that, did that for uh, seven years. Where all were you in the world? Um, Iraq, Afghanistan, um, uh, let's see, Serbia, um, Le- uh, Lebanon, Libya, you know, Beirut, Tripoli. Do you have a favorite place that you went? Not Beirut. I'm sorry, uh, Benghazi. Yeah. Um, favorite place. Favorite place. I think you know Lebanon. I was I was studying at Liberty University. Right. I had the 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 GI Bill, and it was it's just <laughs> surreal when you're studying the Old Testament and you're there. They're talking. You're reading about the cedars of Lebanon and you see them outside. And while you're studying, you'll be you'll be watching your professor saying something, and you hear and you see these anti aircraft munitions, and you're like, huh. Anyways, and you're writing your paper and it's just like, this is, this is happening right now. You know, this is, this is kind of cool. And to be there, you know, in, in, in some of these towns or very near them or driving through them, um, while you're studying that, that level and that, the gravity of that content just kind of grabs you. And that, that kind of made it real. So, uh, that was cool. As far as traveling, like an active duty, going to, um, Prague, that town is just like, I'd like to go back and just spend some time just cause it's, it's so different than what we're used to. It's beautiful. So much history. It's kind of, yeah. it just feels dangerous. Like it feels like you're in a vampire movie, right? Like this is weird. And it is, it's, there's like evil lurking, but something about it is like, it makes you feel alive. You know, like just like trials when you have stuff going on, it, it, like right now I'm being, you know, canceled and there's all this stuff going on. It does. It, it makes you, your kids see a better version of you. They join you in the fight. You're modeling how to be a good man under under these you know under duress, and they're watching still, you know. And that's better than neutral. I say any forward gear, but neutral will kill us. Some days mm. it's low, some days it's high, but we need to fight for any forward gear. Let's talk about Benghazi because it yeah. hasn't been in the news for a while. The movie's yeah. been out for quite a while. People yeah. may have seen it when it first came out, but they haven't seen it since. So let's talk about that whole lead up and what happened, and how you were since that was your team. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, yeah, I appreciate that. Cause it does it, it, you know, September 11th to many of us means more than New York city. Right. So that was the, it was September 11th that that happened. And, uh, I did three deployments to 
to Libya or in 2012. On one of them, my wife, we, we, we suffered a miscarriage. Mm. And it was early on and asked my wife, I was like, hey, I'm gonna be coming home. She goes, no, no, no. I've got my girls here, my, you know, that, is, that she has helped in those situations and I'm okay. We need the money, like all that stuff that you tell yourself um, that, I, that I later regretted and had to pray through and all that stuff because a lot of guilt. That happens, just get on a plane. Don't talk, just get on a plane, right? That, that would be what I would say to a younger Jimmy Graham. Um, but I didn't and I stayed. And then um, <laughs> I was asked to extend and I was typically, I'm typically the first guy there, last guy to leave. When it comes to that, I'm very serious about protecting people, right? Some people get drunk and they don't. I'm like, brother, I'm, I'm not here to drink and party. I'm here to keep these people alive and it could happen at two in the morning. So the answer is no. Um, but they asked me to extend because the ambassador was visiting and I, I said, I can't. I got, my family needs me. And I uh, got on a plane and then went back awaiting my next rotation back out. And um, the attack happened and I'm kind of kind of split, kind of torn because part of me wishes I would have been there, right? And this is why. There's a movie that's out, a book and a movie that everybody reads, and they see Hollywood's version of what happened. Um, they see Tyrone Wood, who was my assistant team lead. I was the team lead, and the assistant team lead was Tyrone Wood, one of the SEALs that we lost. It appears in the book and the movie that he's the team lead, and he makes a decision to go when they were told not to go. Um, he's not the team lead. He was still the assistant team lead. There was another guy that they removed from the book and the movie right? that, that I turned over with that was the actual team lead, and he worked. Uh, for the CIA, still does, and he was an agent. So they just pulled him out because it wasn't a real, you know, powerful, just like I was pulled out, it didn't matter. I would have been there in the movie when Jack Silva, fake name, mm -hmm. when that guy showed up, I was still there, but it didn't make any sense, so why bother? So they pulled me out of that, they pulled some other people out of there, but I think it's a better story because <clears throat> the truth usually is, but in going, when Ty said we're going after they delayed 20 minutes, the other guy's a very passive guy. And in that role, I'm not very passive. I'm pretty much, you know, I'm not asking, I'm telling you, right? I'm in charge now, which is needed in that circumstance. So not that I would have went and slayed them all or whatever, but I believe in my heart, I would have gotten moving quicker, right? It's not the passive guy that's sitting there saying, yes, boss, yes, boss, uh, which is what Ty ended up doing, but the boss should have done it. So when Ty did it, he effectively quit. He's like, hey man, this isn't about a job and who's my boss. Americans need me. And I say this all the time, I'm going, you're invited in my Definite, that's my definition of shepherd, on how do you shepherd, able shepherd is my business. But to shepherd means to teach, to lead, and to protect. And well, how do you shepherd? I say, I'm going, and you're invited. I can't make you do anything. You know, that's it's in line with my sheep, know my name, and they follow me. I'm just gonna go do what I think's right, and you're invited to come with me. And that's what he did, right? But by overstepping his boss, um, who would have been that other guy, he effectively said, I quit, and they need be. And then the team went with him, and then they extracted the survivors and came back. But it cost them their lives, right, obviously. But I believe if they had got going, maybe if they got if we got going earlier, there might be an ambassador alive. There might have been the people that we lost alive, right? Mm. Maybe. Or you go earlier and it's thicker and there's you know a shootout and you don't make it. But um, but I know this: had I been there, being the team lead, I would have been on that rooftop that was my building that held the ambassador uh, that held the uh, the chief of base and everybody else. So when the mortars hit, who knows? Right, so there's part of me that says, man, I could have made a difference. There's another part saying you were spared so that now you can be married to Rachel and raise Rebecca, Sarah, Christian, and Eden, right? So it's just, I don't carry it like I used to because I've just kind of let go of that and said, you know, it's in God's hands, but it used to weigh pretty heavy. How'd you let go of that? I think, you know, as you mature, as you, as you, uh, as you step deeper into your faith, you realize, brother, you got, you got very little control of what's going to happen. This was pre-written. 
And there's like my, my time is now. And that's one of the things that fuels me now is that there's so many guys in that. When I was back in Coronado a couple weeks ago at Danny's and I'm looking at those pictures on the wall and I'm walking where you leave so much on that beach, it's very, very clear that there are certain people that have to give everything their all, all in one day. And there's other people that have to give it over a lifetime, right? And I just happen to be one of those people that my time is now, right? My, this battle that's dis, that disgusts me, it, it is my job to stand and say, I disagree with this. You don't get access to my kids or any kid for that matter. And I don't have to be popular if I'm the only guy in the world saying it, then, then hear it clearly. I disagree with you. And the answer is no. You mentioned wife, you mentioned kids. Yeah. How'd you meet your wife? I met my wife lifeguarding, like when I was heading off to the military and I was lifeguarding, we dated for like five minutes and then I took off and you know, we just, it wasn't a good fit for those two people at that stage in their life. Um, we were a mess, both of us. She stayed in Missouri and pursued her career, you know, as a stylist and all that, very successful in doing, you know, like, I don't know, like news people and celebrities and all that kind of stuff. I got off to the SEAL teams. Um, when we came back together, um, um, she was um, kind of <laughs> recovering, I guess, from a trying to find a safe place from a failed marriage. I was coming back into the picture, and then when we met again, it was two adults, and God was in the picture because I was searching big time, and so was she. In those pre-marriage discussions of um, theoretically, you know, with kids, she's like, you know, my kids would be going to church every Sunday, and I'm like, meh. Okay. You know, but I was, there was something, I was like, this can't be it. There's got to be some more than this, this whole, this sexy life of going overseas, protecting people. I mean, it's pretty cool, man. When you like, when you land in a foreign country and you bypass the airport and you open the door and your buddies are there in an armored vehicle and they throw you a machine gun, you're like, this is kind of <laughs> cool, man. Right? It's hard to explain how cool that is. Yeah. Um, and then you get to go and literally, you know, that, that, even that risk, man, it just keeps, it keeps a, you know, a pulse in your veins and you're like, man, I feel alive. Sometimes it's scary, but it is, it's, it's honorable. It's not that I agree with what the CIA is doing and seeing money exchange with terrorists. I, I don't agree with that, but I, but I also, I don't fully understand, you know, what they're saying. So I have to, there's a little bit of a trust involved saying, okay, what I, why I'm here is, is I'm just saying that you shouldn't be murdered today. Right. So there's. There's honor in that, and I think chasing that in a, in a world that's basically, you know, very void of honor, we're, we need more honor in this world, and, and men need a purpose. You know, everybody needs a purpose, but men in, in particular, they get dangerous when they lose their purpose, when they kick it into neutral, right? So having that becomes addictive. Uh, you know, we call it call chasing the next big mish. There's another mission, and I almost did, too. They were like, that's when, that's when Syria was kicking off. And they're like, hey, call signs half a, half a. We're thinking about Syria. What do you think? I'm like, oh man, I just promised Rachel, and you know this whole thing happened. And I did go back after the attack. Um, I got back, and this is how I, I learned about it. I'm heading to a business meeting. Some I just I just on paper launched a business called Duty to Act LLC, which is still my business. We're just doing a DBA now. Heading to Denver to learn a little bit about that, and I get a text. My phone buzzes, and it says, "Have you seen the news?" And I'm like, "That's not good." This is from a buddy in this agency. So I just pull up any news, whatever, and and see. Benghazi, Libya, fire, and that we lost an ambassador, right? That the State Department lost an ambassador. The agency, the secret location, had to launch, pull them back, and then, the, and then they got attacked as well. So that's basically what happened is, is that um, attacked the declared location, meaning it, you know, in, in Tripoli and in Benghazi, you can just Google where's the embassy and it'll drive you there. So those are declared, but nearby was a secret facility for the CIA. So the declared one got attacked, the secret one had to leave and go get these guys, bring them back. 
But then here comes the trouble on your front door and they held off for 13 hours and saved a lot of Americans. So very proud of that team. And for six years training those teams to make sure that they passed the heightened standards and you don't even get a go if you don't do. I mean, it's it, one thing to say, well, I'm a SEAL. I'm like, awesome. Then it should be easy for you. This is protection. This is how you do this. And we'd, had, we'd have SEALs fail. We'd have Marines and, and um, Special Forces guys fail. Like, I get it. Mm. You've learned combat mm. and all this. We're talking about small unit tactics, all geared around protecting innocent life. Can you do that? And can you do it like this? Because, you know, I've derived a standard from that called um, the USA standard, uniform, safe, and accurate. I did this and this and this. That's awesome. But you haven't done it with these guys. If we can't land on one basic form of the same <laughs> page, you're not effective. So here's the page and you can do it or you can't. And if you can't go home, you know, and that drives guys, then they do it and they get not only the responsibility, but the honor of going over and protecting these people in very small numbers where everything's kind of stacked against you. Mm. So that's, that's the thing that was, that was awesome. But then, you know, that, that allure of, Hey, Syria's kicking off. Let's go do this. I'm like, Ooh, a new frontier. And I'm like, wait a minute. I gave somebody a promise. Answers. And I don't even know what I'm going to do next. Right. It's like the answer is no. Right. So Turned in my badge, turned in my gun, all that stuff. It's like, all right, guys, I got, I got to go do this other thing. And there were some things in the training um, cycle that were that were changing. There was a, there's certain level of integrity and a standard they were starting to flex. Uh, they were starting to relax away from, and the writing's on the wall. At that point, you're gonna start getting the wrong guys, Ooh. right? And I'm like, I can't be here anymore. Yeah. You mentioned Colorado. How'd you end up in Colorado? So we had uh, we had moved. I'd convinced my new bride. You know, we got a little baby, and we move off to uh, Montana. So we lived in, in Helena, Montana. I was deploying back and forth doing that. And then my wife had said, one day she said, I want to raise our kids with my sister. Sister's name's Rebecca. Not twins, but looked like twins. And they, they just have a bond. She's got a bunch of siblings, but their bond was very apparent, right? And she had said she'd been, she'd been kind of very, 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 very patient moving to Montana and then having to travel <laughs> over the world, right? With all of my dream chasing. And then she said, I want to I I move to Colorado. At some point, and I want to raise our kids together. And this is this is just such a gift from God. And I said, okay, on this day we're moving to Colorado to, to Castle Rock. She's like, wow, what about the house? What about like on this day we're moving, right? So we put the pieces together and, and um, put the house up for sale and did all that. And uh, I can remember pulling into Denver, and we've got the biggest U-Haul they make with the biggest trailer that can pull, plus her in the truck with my motorcycle and a trailer and all that, and we hit rush hour traffic. And I'm like, it's not too late to turn around, you know, that whole thing. But we, we move in, and we put everything in storage, and we move into my, my brother and sister-in-law's unfinished basement, right? We got, we got um, at this point, two babies, two baby girls. And we're living in the unfinished basement with all our stuff in storage, and I'm still doing the deployment. So I deploy again after, after Benghazi. And uh, it was such a gift from God because we didn't know that only a couple years later we were going to lose her sister to cancer. Oh. So had we not spent that time together? And it is. It's just, you know, the, the un, you know I'm, I'm writing a book about all this stuff, and it's not a SEAL book. It's, it's, a, you know, um, it's called the, the Working Titles of the Return of Man. I'm talking about that pursuit, right? And, 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 and the years wasted or, or looking at a thing that didn't exist. But, uh, but it, there's a segment we're working on called Unfinished Basements because when, when she got diagnosed and she you know, had to go to Arizona for treatments, we took her family into our unfinished basement, right? They sold their house. And then they entrusted us with their children as they went to go get settled and, uh, and then moved the kids out there. But that was precious time with our nephews and nieces. Mm. And then... I got to be 
Uncle Jim got to be the guy who talks to the homecoming date. So good. So good. Like, you can't pass that up. And mom, who's, you know, she's, she's sick and working through it. The phone's up here, so she's watching all this. And in true, like, just ornery seal guy fashion, I got two of my buddies, big barrel-chested dudes, fully loaded out, full kit, ARs, standing like these lamps in the corners. And I invite the kid in, and he comes in like, what the? And so I open the door. I look through the peak hole, and I'm like, his mom's with him. And they're both like, dude, what are we going to do? I'm like, chill. And follow my lead. Stoic. Don't move. So like statues, they're standing there. And I let this kid up. Come on in. He comes in. And I, I duck in. I go, we're going to have a little fun to the mom. And just turn around. And she walks in. She's like, oh, oh God. She's like totally nervous, right? And uh, my, my, my <laughs> niece has no idea. She's upstairs getting beautiful. My wife's taking care of her. And she walks down the stairs and sees it. She's like, oh, my. And then walks over, puts her shoes on and all this stuff. And I'm talking to the guy. And he keeps looking over at my buddies. And they're just statues. They got sunglasses on, ball caps, big old, like full <laughs> kit, like full on, you know, probably six, seven magazines, ARs, everything. And they're just statues. And he's like, what the, what's going on here? And uh, I'm like, so what are you guys doing tonight? Exactly. And he's like, uh, uh, and he can barely talk and it's all funny. And then, and then we have a serious moment where she comes up, she's like, I hate you. And she hugs me and she's like, I love you. And like whispers in my ear and I'm like, got you. She kind of laughs and just totally digs it. And then, uh, uh, the, the last thing I say to him is like, Hey, you know, this is my niece. And obviously I take her safety very, very seriously tonight. That goes to you. You need anything at all. You call me first. Do you understand me? Yes, oh, sir. Wow. Done deal. Right? Oh wow! Yeah, it's so wow. good. That's cool. And then, and then, and then he goes to shake their hands, like, "Hey, you, nice to meet you guys." And they're just like, in character. <laughs> they give him the nod, like, "What's up?" You know, like, <laughs> and he puts his hand out, nothing, and then he, they just walk out the door, and then they leave, and then we just bust out laughing, like, "Oh, that was so funny! I so wanted to laugh and all that kind of stuff." But it was, it was fun. And then that went around the high school of this story of like, "Dude, did you hear about so and so? This is what happened," and it was, it was good. That's funny. So you mentioned that when you and your soon-to-be wife mm-hmm. got back together, that God was getting a hold of you both. Yeah. What was going on that that you were being you both were being pulled? So right before you know she had her stuff going on with 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 her marriage, and, and then and then having a marriage that wasn't blessed, like literally her parents were like, I don't you know that's her story to tell, but. But when that when that happened, you know, I can imagine being in a wounded place and just kind of hanging out and saying, now now what, right? And then we come back into each other's lives. I can speak to my my story as I'm over there on the East Coast, you know, in Virginia, hanging out with buddies. And I remember my buddy Gary, we're just hanging out and we would have these just amazing get-togethers where people are all passed out everywhere. And, and there was a, a fire outside. It was on the intercoastal waterway. We called it Green 13 because the green channel marker number 13 was right off the, like off the porch. Like you'd see huge ships come through. But it's just this little country farmhouse that we kind of refurbished and tore out flooring and replaced it. And it became this amazing spot. You could, have, you could roast hogs and you could have a, a big bonfire. And I can just remember sitting there several nights, uh, late into the night, you know, sitting there probably half lit, saying, man, this can't be it. Like, as cool as this is, it's just, it's hollow. There's really no purpose here. And I don't know, where are we going? You know, and, and, and he was like, um, I think you're looking for God. Is he going to come to church with me on Sunday? I'm like, you mean like in two hours Sunday? Because this is like Saturday night. <laughs> you know, it's like, um, and it, he was Catholic, and he was kind of Catholic, not like uh, <coughs> not knowing the like. I don't know much about the whole process, but neither did he. And that's just not good when you're trying to win somebody for that. So I went in, and he was, I was like, "Why are we doing this?" He, I don't know. So what we do? I was like, "This ain't it, brother. This is not the thing I'm looking mm-hmm. for." So then bounced away from that for a while, right? But then. Um, felt led to another friend invited me to this uh, this church and it was a uh, what do you call it? It's um like a non-denominational 
a bigger church, but it was a community church, I think they called it, right? And uh, I went in there and growing up Baptist and these are the smaller churches, I walk in, the music is way too good. Like it's like a concert. Like I, was I supposed to pay to get in here, you know? And it was kind of freaking me out a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. And this, this guy starts preaching and it was what I now would define as a Holy Spirit moment where you're the only guy in there. And the guy's just going through that list. Like those, that, remember the campfire, me hanging out with a beer and just drinking with Gary and asking these questions. And we didn't know, so we're just guessing. It's almost like every Sunday he would just go down and check off these lists and it freaked me out. I was like, this is, this is weird, man. Like what's happening, right? You know, when people say it's like they've been checking your email or reading your letters or they've been, you know, hanging out in your house, he's literally going down and, and, and talking about this, this truth that I remember. But for whatever reason, when I was a kid coming through Sunday school, I thought this was all kind of, you know, fictitious, like David and Goliath and all this stuff. I'm like, these are cool stories, man. They got nothing to do with me. And they're kind of cool because the smaller guy won, but I ne- nobody had ever tied that together. So in my 30s, I'm at Liberty University a little bit later, and this, this changed my life. That there's, and I draw this out in chalk for my kids, that there's, there's these arrows going this way in this timeline, and this is eternity this way and this way. There's a cross in the middle. There's an old covenant or contract. There's a new covenant or contract, and you are here. Like, this is a revelation. I'm like, wait a minute, that's not... I'm in the story, and all of a sudden, it gets real. There's a purpose, and there's, I say, I jokingly say, there's a book of James that's already taken. So the book of Jimmy's being written right now, and it's going to be the best one, right? And all of a sudden, you're like, man, I'm in. I'm, I'm all, like, let's go. Let's go do this, right? Mm. So for so many people that lose purpose, I don't think it's, it's because they didn't know that. They didn't realize that, man, there's a story being written, and it's the greatest story ever told, and it's true, and you're in it. And then all of a sudden, it starts getting real. So that's what I was kind of working my way through during that time at this at this this church and it was weird it's like uh it's in virginia beach and it's like people are just there um and i just i don't discount any try trying to talk bad about any church because like this the people are plastic and virginia beach has a real big plastic surgery thing and they're fancy cars and way more money than me all that was going off like man this is weird but for that day god used that message and it just punched me in the soul and i was like man this is this is unbelievable what's going on right now and it changed my life right how did it change your life I was like, this guy, he couldn't have planned this. You know what I mean? I needed, I needed the truth in the Bible. For me personally, I needed a life to compare it to. Because it was all hypothetical. Before you, before you do anything and you're a kid, you haven't done anything. Like, I can't, I can't weigh what you're saying against anything. I haven't done anything, right? I'm going to change the world. You don't know about the world, right? You know nothing about it, actually. You know, you know about Castle Rock and you're the safest person on the planet, right? Um, so, to, so to live at least a portion of life, I couldn't disprove it with anything I've ever felt, learned, seen, or done. I was like, everything you're saying lines up past every test I could, as a, as a, at least a young man, as a man, I line this up and I can't disprove any of it. And you start running out of excuses, right? And I'd like to preach accountability, but when it turns back on you and you got nowhere to go, you're like, okay, then, mm-hmm. I'll, then at least I'll look at it, right? And then somewhere in this time frame, I made a decision. I wish I'd have made it earlier. I think we all do. And I said, everybody that I meet, everybody that meets Jimmy Graham will be better having met me, even if it's this much. And the second you do that, you see it, like you see your life turn around. And then all of a sudden, there's this credibility starts, you know, I I say character, you know, you've heard um, reputation, the SEAL team's got this wrong, actually, and I'll tell any any SEAL this to, you know, upfront and personal, reputation, 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 or reputation, what people think of you, characters, who you truly are. We weren't really interested in character. It was all about reputation. But when you make a turn and your character starts building, say it takes you a lifetime to build character and one second to lose it all, right? 
And, and mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, okay, I'm in. And I have since received those three o'clock in the morning phone calls saying, hey, brother, you sleeping? And I'm, of course I'm sleeping. I'm like, no, no, what's up, man? How do you talk to God? By somebody across the country who's sitting there with a pistol in their hand, right? And it's that moment, you know, time to put on coffee because you're not going back to bed. But then you start thinking, why did my phone ring? Like out of all the people on this planet, my phone rang, you know? And if you're like a kind of a smart ass and you flippantly throw your words around and you had, don't have integrity, your phone doesn't ring. You just get the news, right? So that, that's, that's real stuff and I've seen it way too many times. Like I encourage young people, anybody, take pictures. Because I've been that guy more times than I care to count going through a Rubbermaid container trying to find photos because they need them for a service, right? And maybe it's premature, maybe it's end of life, but there's so many people that just aren't around anymore. So I take a lot of pictures now. I was never a picture guy, but I've got some and they become gold the second you get a phone call, right? Mm. So you leave the CIA, where do you go? I tell my wife we're launching this endeavor called Duty to Act LLC, and we're going to teach, um, you know, now with children, we're going to, um, and, I, and I started it before Benghazi, but Benghazi kind of drove it home because, you know, um, uh, Tyrone Wood, Glenn Doherty, guys we lost, Ty in particular, everybody, there's a saying, um, I'm going to do this trip, maybe one more, and then I'm going to go chase my dreams. This one, maybe we get paid very good. I say very good, but it's got to cover the time you're not working. More so than the pay, you got good enough pay to make do, but then you got six months of freedom. So you'll work six months out of the year, two on, two off. You'll make enough in those six months of working to cover the other six months. So you get freedom. And that's what guys want. They want to make a living and and live their life, right? But when I saw Ty talking about that and then not get the chance to follow through with his medical endeavors with his wife, I was like, dang it, you're saying it too, you know? So I did honor that commitment of going back, was the first team back in Benghazi, recovered a bunch of vehicles and, and did a day trip because it was burned out, you know, but then we got everybody back to, you know, safely to Tripoli. <clears throat> and that was my last trip. And I told my wife, like, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna pursue this security thing to make, having kids now, I'm going to church, thinking about sending them to school. And I look at some of the security teams and I'm like, what are you guys doing to prepare for that thing that inevitably is gonna walk through that door? And it wasn't much. Usually it was like, a, well, we get a CCW and we go shoot at paper. And I'm like, I'm not talking about paper attacking the church. I'm talking about human beings. What are you doing for that? You know, And not being a jerk, I just said, hey, can I show you some things? And um, I had purchased some equipment and I got licensed through the same, some of the same um, systems and um, technologies that are available and showed them and it blew their mind <coughs> and then made a strong team and then made another one. And when I did that business, Duty Act LLC, it failed. Like I got a building, launched it, wait till the world gets a load of this. And I say failed, but now I know that means something else. I know it's the price of admission if you're an entrepreneur, right? Mm-hmm. But we did lose a building. And, and now being a Navy SEAL, that's also CIA bodyguard, all this stuff. I end up at my church teaching a men's class called Tangible Skills for Guys. And I'd made this deal with my wife. She was like, this thing that you prayed about is failing. And we are almost liquidated, the things you don't liquidate, right? It's like, no, this is of God. We're going all in, right? And we're spending everything that we've ever, that nest egg and all that stuff's going away, right? And I say, I'll take the next job that comes along. And I'm in the church doing this thing and because I just needed to be there. So I was teaching men how to do like back, how to weld, how to load and back up trailers, how to do all this stuff that's just man stuff. And um, I'm sitting there with Jeff, Jeff Holcomb, uh, the men's pastor at the time, Assistant walks up and talks to him. Hey, do you want me to post that job listing? And he's like, yeah, yeah, go ahead and post it. And walks around, I'm like, which job listing? And he's like, facilities. 
And I'm like, oh man, like God, really? Because I just made this deal with Rachel and the Lord saying the next job that comes up, I'm gonna yeah. jump on it. Yeah. And he and I, I go, well, what's that consist of? And he's like taking out the trash, setting up the tables, just basically whatever the other things need and support. And he goes, you know somebody interested? And I go, maybe me, brother. He's like, say the word, but I'm, I'm telling you, it's not much. He's told me that per hour and it was just yeah. not, you know, next to nothing. But I just made a deal, right? And I'm like, oh no. So I go to him and talk to Rachel and I was like, yeah, I'll take it. So I'm the guy taking out the trash. And I remember a guy had an awesome dude named Rick and he's sitting there talking. We we're just in there chatting and I'm, I'm taking out the trash and doing the stuff. And he's sitting there as an A-10 pilot, <coughs> Vietnam guy, just a stellar guy. And somebody walks up and goes, hey, are you the, the new janitor? And he's like, do you know who you're talking to? And I go, yeah, I'm the new janitor. And I shake his hand, my name's Jimmy. And we start talking and all this stuff. But it was a humbling time, but I just needed to be there. Mm. You know, I just needed to be surrounded. I just needed a safe place because Navy SEALs don't fail and you just lost the building. And, you know, and, and to look at, entrepreneurs know this probably, when you've held your wife crying and saying, I don't know where, how the rent's going to get paid, it's a, it does a thing, especially with those kind of credentials. And knowing that with one phone call, I could be back to that paycheck, right? But you made a promise to your wife and to God, and you just have to, you just have to suck it, man. You got to go through the valley. You just got, you, yeah. and I wouldn't trade it for the world now, you know, but it is, it is tough. And then, you know, and then um, worked in the church for about a year. And then a family, local family, Integrity Fundraising offered me, um, I'm sorry, a brother-in-law offered me. He goes, hey, I see what's going on. Appreciate what you're doing, but the railroad's hiring. So I, I, I went and took a job at the railroad because of the benefits to stay local, but they immediately moved me to Nebraska all summer. So now I'm gone from my family, which was the entire goal just to get some benefits working and just, they just abuse their people and God bless them. Every time I see a train go, I feel like Johnny Cash, man, you hear that whistle blowing? But I see it and I'm like, man, those guys are doing that. And I remember doing it and, and, and just coming home nasty, dirty, running heavy equipment and digging in the dirt. I didn't know before that, that you could wear out a shovel. Did you know you could wear out a shovel? I, no <laughs> I thought it was a shovel. You buy a good one, it's there for life. No, you can burn it down when there's no metal left. Those what? guys work, right? And then, a, and then a family friend said, hey, uh, I know you're trying to raise a family and doing all that stuff. We need somebody. I know this is beneath you, but talking to people and selling to women and doing all this stuff, and this integrity fundraising and selling these goods for fundraising stuff. And, uh, and I did that for about a year. And then got an opportunity to work at a, um, to pursue a joint venture called Active Shooter Response Training Center that also didn't go with, at Centennial Gun Club. Like launched it, hey, we're gonna bring in, one guy's gonna be the marketing guy that brings people in. Um, the business mind, his name was Dick. He's the one that invited me up and said, you, can you train people to do this? I'm like, this is what I do. And he entrusted me with that. It's been a blessing. It's been amazing. But that also failed. And right before they showed me the door, I asked, hey, I've been working on this curriculum that's, that, that I believe is the way people need to be taught. And it involves tests. And I don't know if people like tests. And kind of with his blessing, I, 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 I launched that. And that was the, the tipping point. And it, was, it wasn't cops and security guards. It was people. People wanted to come in and say, I don't know how to defend my family. Can you show me? And I'm like, I absolutely can. And it's mm. better, by the way. It's mm. better than, you mm. know, respectfully, and I could say this to my brothers, <laughs> Navy SEALs, SWAT teams, cops, they know it all. They're like, I got that. I'm like, then show me. And then they can't. And you're like, okay, now will you listen? And they just usually don't. So I don't even market to cops. They still call me and I train them and I'm honored to work alongside them. But there's that pride thing. That doesn't happen with a single mother that wants to defend her child. Mm. She's like, I just want to learn. I just want to make sure that that little girl's safe. And I'm like, let's get to it. And then they leave every, we have a saying, everyone leaves here better every single time, including the staff. And it becomes addictive. So how long have you been doing that now? 
Um, let's see, duty to act. We're going on 12 years. Uh, just celebrated 12 years, going on 13 actually. And then um, for Abel Shepherd, I think it's six years. And it's just, it's, it's, it's awesome. Like I said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have known to pray for this because it didn't exist, right? So now we do a two-part approach. People ask me, what are you doing? And, and you know, when we start talking on a deeper level, I say, um, on the day that somebody walks in and starts shooting kids, I don't care about the gender. I don't care about their upbringing. Their upbringing. I don't care about their dad. I care about none of that because they've just identified as a threat and threats need to be neutralized. So we need to be very effective at that. And it needs to happen in seconds, not minutes. But I do care. So let's back up. Did How do we let, get, let kids get so broken that they're going to come shoot up innocent children, right? And usually, tell me about your dad, right? So I truly believe this. If we make stronger men that will raise stronger children that wouldn't shoot at mine. So it's not one or the other, it's both simultaneously. If you just, if all you're doing is training people how to shoot active shooters, you're chasing your tail because we're making them faster than we can neutralize them, right? But if you go all the way back and do both simultaneously and say, we need to neutralize these threats to this nation, to our future. Anytime you say kids, just say our future, right? Our future, um, you must do it and you must do it first. But simultaneously, you need to just cut that off. You need to start making healthier men that can raise stronger children that, that believe that perhaps this person's made the image of God and I probably shouldn't shoot him to death. You know what I mean? And I believe that, that right now, the most innocent form of Jesus Christ on this planet is our children, both born and unborn. And it's not in the shadows anymore. There's a full-on assault. And, and again, it's a protective principle. To get to them, you're going to have to go through me. Mm. And when you say, I'm going to do that, and you're invited, people start showing up. How are you attacking it at the root? We and do creating stronger men. And this, and, this is the cool part: is all you really have to do, in my opinion, is to to shepherd. Means I'm going. You're invited. So I'm just going to pursue healthy. I'm going to go shoot guns. I'm going to go ride motorcycles in those mountains. I'm going to take kids and go show them how to do this. We're going to film it. We're going to put it out there, and you're invited, and they're coming. Right. So the latest one, the probably the the piece of work that we just put on. Um, uh, the, the product, whatever you call it, the episode that we just put on our, our YouTube channel is called Intro to Backcountry. And it's five, six children. And with every child, there's either a mom, dad, or a grandpa with them. And we go out for four days and we ride dirt bikes. And, you know, I'm right behind them. And I got a camera and I'm talking to my son on a little communication thing in both helmets. And all day we're talking. And then, you know, at the end of the day, set up camp, camp, hang out, healthy conversation. <laughs> we uh, pack up again. We do that for four days. So it's, it's not like circles. It's a destination, destination, destination. Let's wrap it up and go back, you know, load up the trailer. Um, and it's just gold. It's, it's so amazing. But now it's not just, let's just, you know, bless these five, six families. It's we recorded it, had it professionally edited. And now we're inspiring men to do that with their kids and their grandkids. And like, you know, my buddy Don, his grandson, Donnie in 15 years is going to have a video of him and his grandpa in those mountains on a little dirt bike just getting after it and when somebody falls down you pick them up and uh you know we just did a bdr with the adults with men and for the first time i'd always vocalized this but i put it on paper uh a covenant right i said hey guys here's the deal everybody check out this covenant and maybe it says um <coughs> politics you know religion language drinking all that stuff like politics and religion we can talk about it but do it respectfully uh, drinking. We can enjoy, but I, I, my son won't see you drunk. By the way, neither will I, because that's not what we're doing here. Language, leave it at home, man. Like we got more going on. And, and one of the responses was, uh, man, I thought this was just a bunch of dudes riding motorcycles. I was like, you thought wrong. Because what they don't know, behind, I, won't, I won't say names, but what they don't know is that that guy right there, he's about to bury his wife. 
You guys don't know that, but he's on trust now. He just needs a minute because he's been caring for her for 20 years and we're at the end. And his family said, you need to go get healthy. You need to go out there and do this, right? And he just did, by the way, a couple weeks ago. Mm. This guy right here has cancer that might take his life. This young man right here is my nephew and he's trying to find the man he's going to be. And he's not going to pick up drinking and being an idiot because he saw it here because that's my job, right? So when you challenge guys and say, act right or stay home. And I said, you don't have to sign it. You showing up is confirmation that you're in or stay home. (laughs) So then when they come, there's a whole different thing. And this one was the worst one we've ever done, meaning a guy went to the hospital. Eight of the 10 bikes did not go home on their own power. We got reined in for two days. But it was the best one we've ever done. Really? Yeah, because we needed each other bad, right? Like this guy wow. breaks. I got to hike into the desert in motorcycle gear to walk you back out at a snail's pace, then get you in a vehicle heading to the hospital. Then I got to hike back in and get your motorcycle and ride it three hours to get it somewhere where it can be put on a trailer. That's good stuff, brother. It's just goodness, <laughs> man. It's back to that digging deep. Like I, I wouldn't have chose to do that, but you needed it. You've got nothing. Like my nephew trashes his bike. And he's like, he's laying there one morning staring at the ceiling because he's got no options right now. He's estranged from his father. And I said, I pull him aside. I'm like, hey, listen, I'm not your dad, but there's a couple of things I want to address. He's like, you're the closest thing I got. Wow. I'm like, oof, wow. So then for these men to just show up, we had a guy call from here, from, from Denver. I'll just say Denver. And he said, somebody said, pray for these guys because they're out in Moab and two bikes went down. He goes, I'll leave right now with my truck and trailer to come get your bikes back home if you need me. And we said, launch, like we need to take you up on that. And he did. And then my brother, who I've been working on for years that I recently led to the Lord on one of these motorcycle rides, he takes my nephew's bike, gets them all back here to Denver, then loads them in his truck and gets both bikes, including my nephew's, back to Missouri so that he can continue with these men for another four days. And it's just, it's just goodness. You know, it's like when guys are stuck in the desert and you're like, I, there's no options here. We got to go. You know, I don't care if it's dark. I don't care if it's the middle of the night. And you load up and go get them, you know, and it's, it's, it's cool. How do people find out about this if they're, if they're intrigued? If they're intrigued, I would say ableshepherd.com. So able meaning capable. So A-B-L-E. And then shepherd like, you know, a good shepherd. First uh, Peter 5 to 2 calls us to be shepherds. I'm sorry. First Peter 5, 2 to 4. That's how you learn the information. If you want to see the heart of what we are, it would be the YouTube channel under the same name, Abel Shepherd. That intro to backcountry with those kids, I'm more proud of that than any, anything we've done. Uh, so there will be more. You mentioned you're in the process of being canceled. Let's talk about that because yeah. you've been taking it on the chin yeah. recently. Yeah. And it's an honor to do so. You know, the, the, somebody brought to my attention this amazing uh, you know, woman there in Castle Rock that there was a, you know, um, <coughs> she's a senior and she's a sweetheart. And you just, you talk to her for five minutes and it's just, you're, there's a connection where you're like, man, this is a godly woman right here. And brought it to my attention that there's been for the past three years, maybe more, not only a pride fest, but a drag show for children where grown men dress up like women and have exposed themselves. Now they're not real breasts, but there's real nipple. The kids don't know any difference. Kids have been encouraged to tip, come up and tip them and also perform for money. Right? And this is at our fairgrounds across the street from my house, right next to a school, right next to a church. Um, that This year there was going to be a youth-only room where no adults, just drag performers and children, but no adults. What? Yeah. And there has been physical assault every year uh, against the senior. People have been pushed, cussed in their face, all this stuff at our local fairgrounds. So um, I said that, that, that I absolutely disagree 
So we prayed about it. What I came up with was a t-shirt that says, stand to protect children. And on the back, I wanted a message that was true and not in your face. It says, Jesus loves you. And then below that in parentheses, and so do I. And the idea was to go and just, it's, it's, a, it's a free ticket. You have to get a ticket, but it's free because it's a public event with their, their invitation was you belong here. So anybody belongs here. So I checked with local law enforcement and everybody. I said, can I go and can I wear the shirt? Like, you wear whatever you want. They're wearing rainbows. You can wear that. So I said, I'm going to go. Invite people to come with me. Again, I'm going. You're invited. And when they start that performance, I'm simply going to turn around. And with the message, this is Jesus loves you and so do I. So I have a cover shirt with buttons on it. And then when they start these performances, like these sexual type dances for children with tips and all that, I'm just going to turn my back on it. Not on the person, but the performance and just say, Jesus loves you and so do I. And when I invited people, many showed up, like 70 to 80 people showed up. So we had a training that was uh, at a local ranch, but the training was on self-control. So it was, it was literally telling people like, you know, things like don't fumble the football because if you do, it's for the whole team. I got a lot riding on this, right? And my business, my family and all this stuff, just stand with me in, in self-control and strength and just, just let, you know, our, our, our uh, local officials know that we disagree with this, Right. Not in you, but in this with children, it's, there's, no, there's no healthy future here. So we did. And when we did it, before we were able to expose those shirts when the thing started, the guy had found out about it. And it wasn't a big secret because we had, we had undercover cops at the training. They said, we heard you got some kind of training. Everybody assumed because I'm Navy SEAL and I, you know, I run Abel Shepherd, it was going to be an armed training. It was the exact opposite. I said, I'm going to actually, I'm going, you're invited and I'm going to lead by example. I feel called. I would never ask somebody to not legally arm themselves, right? But on this one, I said, it feels contradictory. So I'm going to lead by example, and I don't feel led to carry a firearm. There's going to be police there, and I trust our local law enforcement. So I'll be there, and if it goes off, we're going to let it happen. If somebody punches me in the face, I'm going to take it. We're going to get on video, and that may show the truth about what's going on here, right? And all these guys agreed with me. So we come in. We do it. They say, there's even guys here from the stage. They say this with these secret shirts and they're going to blow us all away. Do you guys want to do that now? And they invite us up. And I'm like, okay. So we walk up, take the shirts off and we stand there. Then they start saying, um, you know, police, take them out of here. And the police like they're not breaking the law. So there's this weird standoff that we didn't plan on because we never planned on coming up. We just stood there with these shirts, with that message. And then when I went over and talked to police commander and the chief of security, I say, well, what happens now? And they're like, well, you guys, we'd appreciate it. You guys move in the aisles. You can stay. You belong here. Move into the aisles and we'll just start the show. And I was like, okay. So we did, but nobody told the guy kind of running it. So he's up there melting down. He's losing his mind. And at that point, it's kind of comical, but the crowd is nasty. I mean, there's, there's assault. We've caught this on video, a couple of them. There's vulgarity and all that. And that kind of goes with the, uh, with the deal. But then there was a senior assault and there was a sexual assault on a minor. And that's like, it's, that can't happen. You know, what? Like if, if, that, if I did that, I would be in jail. How is this happening right here? So there's charges pending right now. And then later, our elected officials have a meeting and say, well, nothing significant happened, so how can we make this better next year? And I'm like, stop. So I walked into a uh, commissioner's meeting and said, for the record, this is what happened. To, for you to say it's, it's not significant when a minor got sexually assaulted, when people got assaulted and pushed and we've got all this pending, we need to stop and, and make room for the truth. So what has happened since is that um, sheriff's departments, Douglas County, Jeffco, and Arapahoe County, who we don't, we, we've done training things with them for free as public um, service um, to help the communities be safer. They've distanced themselves from us. 
to protect themselves. They never called me once. They just basically saw an interview saying that I'm a hater of gay people and they just, they're effectively canceling me. Doesn't hurt uh, financially because we don't really get paid for those, right? I think we got, we did get a speaking uh, honorarium from Arapahoe and they sent me a challenge coin and a thank you letter saying how amazing it was. A couple weeks later, we're breaking ties with you kind of thing because of this woke attack, right? And that's unfortunate because, and I'd say this right now, the last person in your county to bow a knee to this woke agenda should be your elected sheriff. And that's, that's, that stinks. Our sheriff in Douglas County was on my podcast weeks prior singing our praises and talking about there should be more of this. Then it got politicized and all of a sudden it's like, oh no, we got to do the political safe thing. I'm like, yeah, but by doing that, you're encouraged, you're giving them a victory over me, the man that would stand for your children. And then we've been saying uh, lately, do you agree with these points? Do you agree that children should be tipping men for sexual performance? Do you think they should be exposing themselves? Do you think they should be getting tipped? Do you think they should be alone with these people? And people are saying, no. I'm like, then you're actually on our side, right? Mm -hmm. Sheriff, you're actually on our side. Not the side of Jimmy Graham or Abel Shepard, but the side of right. Yeah, you're gonna wanna be on the right side of right once these charges go through. Mm. So it's unfortunate that people don't have time for the truth. That they wanna need your, I said, we don't talk about what we know, we yell what we've heard. And that's, that's destructive. Mm. Jimmy Graham, let's get to rapid fire questions. Is rapid fire, I gotta just one word answer? Can no, I no, okay, you, no, absolutely. Hey, no, no. My, my questions are quick. Your Honestly, answers, yeah. your answers can be as long as you want. <laughs> rapid fire. So I normally ask at this point, how's that stick treating you? But you mentioned that you're like sensitive to smoke. Yeah. You're thinking about picking up pipe. Yeah. But, but cigars just seem to aggravate your throat. Um, smoke aggravate. I don't know if pipe will be any better, right? But um, I was I was involved in a helicopter crash in a rescue effort at a helicopter crash in my first platoon. And we had to <laughs> breathe a lot of like burning metal smoke. And ever since then, my, my, my throat has been very sensitive. To, to smoke and to chemicals. Like if I, if you're using a Clorox wipe in this room, I have to leave the room. Really? Yeah. Wow. Marvel or DC? Marvel. Did you have a favorite superhero when you were a kid? Superheroes, like, if I had to pick one quickly, um, man, jumping over, Su- Superman growing up. The reason for Marvel is because, you know, I've got kids and they're getting into it and that's way better than me doing it. You oh, know yeah. What I mean? Without question. So, and and the DC stuff is just hard to watch. Like like Aquaman was just, it was like pulling my eyelids out. Uh, and my son digs all this. My kids dig all this. And and Wolverine, I heard that, you know, that, that I love the gritty kind of trying to lay low and not do the thing. And, you know, I mentioned that part of my life where it was just dirty kind of work and not that it's Wolverine or any fictitious thing, but just... I just needed to go get right, get my hands dirty, and just kind of hide out for a minute and just get get well, you know, and then get back into the fight. And when you see some of those Wolverine yeah. things, he's like, man, I'm just going to go do this thing. And they get called back into the action. You're like, okay, well, I guess we're going to get after it. Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. Sports teams? Sports teams. Kansas City Chiefs, not because I grew up there. My son loves Patrick Mahomes. And we're actually going to go to a game here, I think, next month. And um, it football... Like, I, I can't explain what it does for him. He's so into it way more than I ever was, and I love seeing it. Mm. Right? He's in flag and all that stuff, and uh, he gets so, so excited about it, and I just, I'm loving it. I'm loving it. What kind of music do you love? 
I would say usually like land on country. Sometimes like the, the Christian stuff used to annoy me because it's like, hey man, I get it. Like it's, Jesus is good, but this isn't a good song, you know? And then as you mature, <laughs> it's still gotta be a good song, right? It's like, and it's just, I feel like, I don't know if the music's getting better or I am, right? But it's landing pretty hard. Like it's, it's like, again, when it affects parts of your life and it triggers memories and it's making you better. Yeah, right on. Amen. Any bands from when you were a teen or oh, man. early seals that really that really just still speak to you this day, to this day. I still get pretty fired up like Bon Jovi and like Van Halen and stuff like that later in the seal teams and in that time. I remember I didn't mention this but during the Blackwater thing it was so disruptive I was a leader there as well and the people under your they just weren't the level of seal team guys. I would just take a run of car like these cars that were assigned to us. I would drive all night. Do you know who George Strait is? Yeah. I would just drive all night. Before he had his 50 greatest or whatever, I had a compilation and I would just drive just so I wouldn't just tear somebody apart the next day. So that's that's got a special place in my heart. The George Strait stuff kind of just chills me out. Favorite food? Favorite food. I'm going to I'm going to honor my beautiful daughter and say pho. Do you know Vietnamese oh, soup? Yeah. It's uh she's if I ask her any time of day, she's like let's go there and I'm like let's go. Mm. Have you or someone you deeply trust ever experienced anything extremely unusual, unexplainable? Could be something spiritual. UFOs are in the news. Hmm. I can't draw any like a UFO or anything like that, but some of those experiences that I mentioned, either Holy Spirit experiences were absolute moments of joy. And when I say joy, it's different than happiness. Like happiness is riding a jet ski, right? It's just going to fade tomorrow. Joy, if I told you about it right now, I'd probably be in tears. But having those moments when you didn't expect it, like in that church that I told you about in Virginia Beach, where like everybody, I've seen it in movies, but I've actually experienced where everybody kind of disappears. This guy's talking and um, and something happens that brings you to tears. Another time I'm sitting on my porch in Montana, I'm digging a retaining wall. I'm smoked. My wife comes out. My daughter's out there with a hammer beating on the dirt. She brings out lemonade and I turn around. And it's like, like like God sees you for that moment. Like you're supposed to like, you feel a presence and it just almost drops you to your knees. Mm. Like this is where I'm supposed to be mm. on this day in this life right here. And it mm. buckles you. Mm. Dogs, cats, neither or both? Dogs, definitely. Um, I'm allergic to cats. When people say, do you have any allergies you know, to foods? And I go, yeah, I shouldn't be eating cat. Um, <laughs> you know, cats make me sneeze and jack me up. Yeah. My dog's well. I really don't have anything really personally against cats. But I'm a dog lover. It's so funny because I've been a black lab guy my entire life and just had some really good ones. We now, I, I can consider myself fully domesticated. I have a Labradoodle. And she is, she is my dog. She's a sweetheart. And man, she loves me. She jumped off the porch and snapped her leg like last, like two months ago. Oh, geez. Yeah. And I am that guy like, hey, let's just pray about it. God will provide. Let's do it. My wife's like, you got a gun. What's the problem? Let's just put this dog down and move on. And we got her surgery and did all that stuff. And she's, mm. she's kind of my girl. Mm. Do you have a favorite dog breed that you're like really Man, resonates like a, with you? Black, black labs still just have a special place yeah. in my heart because my childhood dog. And then as an adult yeah. in the SEAL teams, I got a black lab. But the, the labradoodles, I haven't really met. Like poodles kind of get a bad rap because they're like, you know, the poodles, right? Yeah. Super smart. Yes. And the, the, the breeds, she's just a good hearted, as far as protection, not going to happen, man. She's such a chicken. Like if there's a noise, she's hiding behind me and barking kind of thing, but she's growing on me. So. Yeah. Do you have a nickname? 
Hefe is my call sign from the CIA. So people at work still that know that, they'll be like, Hefe, let's go out there or whatever. So that's the one that pops in my mind. How did you get that one? So it means chief or boss, right? So when I came in, actually in Blackwater, I haven't talked about this in a long time, in Blackwater, um, somebody assigned me, they just pick one and it was Genghis, like Genghis Khan. But if you, it's not supposed to be attributed, right? So if there's one Asian dude, and somebody's named Genghis, it's probably that dude, right? You're not supposed to be able yeah. to pick it out on the radio yeah. kind of thing. Um, and that name was taken when I went into the CIA and was, was uh, you know, I showed up in Kirkuk, Iraq. And everything that they do <laughs> is based off not your real name, but your call sign. But that one was already taken to a guy senior to me. They're like, well, we need to pick another one. I'm like, well, I don't have another one. He goes, what'd you do? And I was like, it was in SEAL teams. And I was like, what, what, what rank were you? I was like, chief. He goes, we already have a chief. He goes, what's chief in Spanish? I said, it's been like a jefe. He goes, jefe. It was like that easy. It was like done. <laughs> and that was it, right? So, and it's funny to me that, that back then it didn't make a lot of sense because yes, chief, chief in the Navy, but it also means boss. And that didn't make any sense. I'm like, jefe. Because people just sometimes they go, hey, jefe, to the, to the chief of base because he's the boss. Well, now he had to call me boss, right? But now, you know, you, you, you add many years to it and I'm running a business and all that kind of stuff. And I'm kind of the guy that gets to drive the bus. I, I tell people, this isn't my bus. I just get to drive it for now. You know, mm. God's, God's running this company, but it just fits. It kind of had to grow into that. Are you a reader? I'll say yes. Most of the time, 95% of the time, it means audible. Yeah. Because I'm just going. Yeah. But yeah, I enjoy reading, but it's typically on a plane or when I'm doing another thing, I can read a book. You have any one to three favorite books not titled the Holy Bible? Um, so yeah, not including the Bible, I would say ones that that, that changed my life. I would say um, John Eldridge, Wild at Heart. Mm-hmm. I would say Christian Manifesto uh, by Francis Schaeffer. Mm. The big revelation in that book is because um, I'm a big patriot. When I say don't fight for freedom, and I'm like, whoa, 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 don't be fighting for freedom, fight for truth. Because you know the truth, the truth will set you free. So you'll get freedom if you fight for truth. But if you fight for freedom and remove the truth, you're a slave. And that's where we're living right now. And that was a game. Francis Schaefer was so, such, so such a thinker. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, awesome. And then the third one, have you ever read Lonesome Dove? No. Lonesome Dove is an amazing, it's a mini series that they made for TV, but the book is unbelievable. And the audio book is probably one of the best presentations of an audiobook ever you know it's, it's a cowboy story that's that's many minutes many, of many series made for tv but it's a fantastic story mm. name three things that you're thankful for at this point in your life oh wow family family and family by, by family you know my i would say my wife just because that we're just in this amazing journey together and we're still trying to figure out our communication and all that and just due to you know her baggage my baggage and trying to raise kids and and um and it's such a blessing, you know, obviously to have her in my life, but I can't wait until we're husband and wife again because we've become mom and dad, you know? And man, I can't believe I'm gonna say this out loud. I just came back from a retreat when I left and I walked just for like hours in the woods and I actually wrote a song and I really haven't done that before. And I asked one of the worship leaders to put that to music and, uh, and he's gonna. So mm. it's, it's so awkward for me and it's awkward for her to receive that. But I just kind of need her to know. It's not for brownie points. I need her to know that I'm all in and I'm working on it, right? Ooh. So, so it's just it's an amazing place to be her husband, right? And then my kids, obviously, they're just unbelievable. And you know, when you realize that I'm modeling for my daughters the man they're going to marry, and I model for my son the man he's going to be, it's such an honor and it's terrifying. 
Right? <laughs> it's it's all at the yeah. same time. Yes. That, yeah. It's amazing. And then, and then the third family and that family, family, family would be that I would have never known that it was a thing to be able to work with such amazing people, both in my staff and my mentors and my community and all that. They just, they just, I hear the nation saying it's hard to find good people to work and I'm surrounded by people that want to work more. All the, there's what else can I do? What else? I love this. I like, I love being here. I love coming to work. I love being around wow. you. I love the adventures. Wow. I love being exhausted. What's next? Wow. It just blows my mind. If you were stranded on a desert island with only one movie, what would that be? <laughs> with only one movie, what would that be? Wow, this popped in my mind. I really wouldn't have picked it for this, but have you ever seen The Way? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Camino Mar- de Santiago? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Martin Sheen, Emilio, Emilio Estevez. Emilio Estevez. Yeah, that, I didn't expect that to grab movie. me like that, but it's, it's, it's a really moving. good movie. I'm thinking about, you know, we're, we're praying about doing that walk with my two oldest daughters on, in 2025, which is coming really quick. And it's a huge commitment, but for weeks they'll be stuck with dad just walking. And then and the significance of that, that pilgrimage is a big deal. And uh, a buddy of mine, Steve Klein, recommended that years ago, and I've seen it many times, and every time it kind of grabs me in a new way. Once it, once it became unavailable on the streaming sites, I went and bought it on Amazon. I did the was, same. Because it's same. one that's just, it's Because so you'll revisit incredible. it. You'll hit it again. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it'll be powerful there, there, again. There was, there was um, knowing that the widower journey would be my journey. Yes. There was something deeply meaningful, deeply impactful yeah. about doing that kind of through hike after my wife passed. And yeah. so I'm planning on doing, I want to do the Camino, absolutely, but I also want to uh, do the Colorado Trail yeah. and really take that time, just take some ashes and just kind of, just like Martin Sheen does in the movie, yeah. just scatter ashes just in little parts where that are really, really meaningful and impactful. Yeah, amen. Are you an early riser, a night owl, or pretty average? I'm, um, I would say I'm an early riser. I'm trying to get to bed earlier because I just I'm that guy that kind of burning the candle at both ends. And I need to get mm-hmm. a handle on that, and then it's just starting to affect me. So I just need to to get to bed and turn off a little bit earlier. If you could live anywhere, where would that be? Man, I always default to Montana. Like I don't fully understand that call. Yeah. But I've I've spent a lot of time up there, and it's not done yet. So I don't think Montana's done with me. What's your greatest strength, and what's your greatest weakness? Ooh, greatest strength, I would say, is, this surprised me because I didn't know this about myself as I genuinely care about people I don't know. Like I, I, adding value to other people is the thing. It's not about guns. It's not about planning. It's not about Navy SEAL. It's not about any of that. People feel that no matter what you do. Like I said, I made that decision that everybody I meet is going to be a little bit better having met Jimmy Graham because there's so many people in my past, that wasn't the story. And that's unfortunate and I can't fix it, right? Mm-hmm. I can't go back and change that. What I can do is from now on, that's gonna be the deal. So I think it serves you well in any capacity. Even if the job changes, having that thing where you add value to other people is just seems to be through, typically through teaching and modeling something. And I can, because I'm, I feel like I'm very simple and I don't mean that like in a, in a hugely bad way, but I can make things that are complex and make them easy to learn. And I can model it and then you know how to do it. I've been able to do that faster, like more efficiently than, than a lot of people. The weakness, I would say, anything with numbers, and I'm not a good delegator, like numbers, I, I really am confused by numbers and it's embarrassing at times, but I, 
as I reflect on it, I think it's a blessing because I don't chase money. I don't need, I would rather not even see any number ever and just go live my life. And if somebody's like, hey man, you're doing pretty good and you can go on vacation this year, I could keep running on that, right? <laughs> but, but I see brothers that are chasing it and it's yeah. eating them alive. So I'm like, man, this might be a gift. I don't think this is a hiccup. It might be a gift. But I mean, I'm talking simple math. If we talk two lines in, I'm already off the p <laughs> I, I don't know what you're talking about. Who's been the greatest influence in your life? Ooh. Other than Jesus, or can I pick Jesus? Other than Jesus. Other than Jesus. Man, my, my, my grandpa, his name's uh, Wayne Oberdyke, and he's, he's the grandfather from, um, from after the divorce. My dad remarried. So step-grandpa, if you will, he would never yeah. say that. I would never say that, but that's the relationship. And in this vulnerable stage for this six, seven-year-old boy, I met this guy that was a World War II vet that left the war, came back, worked for the post office, retired from the post office, and went to clown school so he could make kids laugh. I'm like, that's interesting. Uh-huh. But more so than that was that when you're in that space and you're looking up to everybody and you're kind of lost, he's like, come here, you. And we just we just hung out, right? So we just... Like, get in here and let me show you some things. Let me go, knuckles were always bleeding from working on cars. And it was like, let me show you how to do dangerous things. And here's a mini bike, go ride it. And it was just all of a sudden, there's this version of a man that was like, yeah, yeah that's not your dad. You see your dad and yeah. you need to see it from somebody else. And he just gave his whole life. And he didn't know, a, like, never knew a stranger. It's like, hey, how you doing? I'm like, you know these people? He's like, I do now. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> and he knew so many people in our small town, but you seem like he knew everybody. It's like, it was, it was just a cool cool way to live and a cool way to finish. Who's the first person you think of when you hear the word successful? Successful. This is weird, but because um, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have picked this. This goes into a definition I have of hero that isn't, people don't pick my heroes, right? I get to pick them. But there's a guy, I haven't thought about this in a long time. This is weird that this popped in my head. Have you ever seen a movie called The Dropbox? Yes. There's a dude that's probably poor but he takes Chinese babies off the streets and raise them. And I remember when I was thinking about Hero and I was kind of spending some time reflecting for that book that I'm working on that's been putting me off for two years, I thought about the word hero and I kind of broke it down. And I was like, it's unfortunate that I don't have more uh, heroes that were Navy SEALs. Meaning hero is a big word for me, right? And I've heard people say, this guy's a hero, this guy's a hero, this guy's a hero. And I know those guys personally, they're not heroes, right? They did a cool thing. I'm thankful. I'll buy you a beer and you can tell me about it, but they're not my heroes, right? So a hero would be somebody that changed your life or saved it, in my definition. On that second, I realized that my wife and children are my heroes. Mm. And then I thought about how you measure success. And if it's not money, then what have you done to add value to other people? And if there's a guy in China that has no money, but he's taken in babies and trusting in God to change their lives, it's pretty successful, right? So God looks down at it and count dollars. He's like, wow, man, you had nothing and you had to pray every day or you didn't have food for these dozen kids that are living at your house. Yeah, it's a pretty, pretty good deal for them. I mean, because I was going to be behind a dumpster or hanging out with this dude. Mm. What do you do for self-care to rest, to recharge? Um, not enough for one, but um, man, I've been getting away. I just came back from a, um, um, a pastoral, I'll call it a, what do they call it? They call it an internship. But it was a kind of a retreat to just to, to get away. And, and even at that, they had all this stuff planned on the time, quiet time. So I was a communicator in the SEAL teams, and I, and I talk about communication means transmit and receive, right? If you're not transmitting and receiving, it's not communication. Mm-hmm. And I say, if you're not hearing from God, it's always the receiver. It's never the transmitter. He's transmitting all day, every day. You just got to find your frequency. 
we're so distracted here. If I get away and get in those mountains, and um, usually it's it's quite a bit of time, it just starts coming, man. And if mm. you got a, a recording device or a pen handy, it'll just flow. And I've been doing that a little more and a little more, and every single time. Sometimes it's two hours, sometimes it's five, That's but good. then it comes and it doesn't stop. Yeah. How do you want to be remembered? How do I want to be remembered? So in this, in this process of thinking about this book, I went up and asked God, what is a man? And that's what I called the retreat. There was 20 guys there and all that stuff. And I thought I had a different answer for him. And it's not Jimmy's answer, it's your answer. You're gonna leave here with your answer, what is a man? But then I went up myself during their 24 hours in the mountains and I asked him and nothing for the whole day into the evening. He started and then when I woke up in the morning, I just grabbed my pen and this is what he said. Three things, he said, what is a man? I don't know if you've seen the um, um, the movie, What is a Woman? Mm -hmm. At the end, spoiler alert, the answer was very simple. So I said, what is a man? And God puts back, he writes on paper, an adult male human. And I'm like, well, that was kind of <laughs> anticlimactic, right? But then he, my, kit, my pen keeps moving and he says, but I don't think that's what you're asking. I think you're asking me is what's a strong man? So okay, what's a strong man? It's an adult male human that lives with a steadfast adherence to a strict moral or ethical code. Ooh. So a man of integrity is a strong Ooh. man, not a Christian, a strong man. It's okay, my pen keeps moving, but I don't think you're asking me that either. I think you're asking me what's a good man. So what's a good man? He said, adult male human with integrity that aspires to display the characteristics of Christ, not perfectly, but increasingly. And I'm like, right on, I can deal with that. Mm. So I come back and I present it to the guys and I see people break. Like from 18 to 68, they just break. Cause, and I didn't think it was a big deal because it's kind of funny, like I don't know human, duh, that's the definition. But I had people tell me for the first time ever, I went home feeling like, knowing I was a man. I'm like, wow, you're in your 60s, brother. He's like, I've always questioned it. Now I can wow. get to work. I'm like, wow. And I was like, well, wow. then you need to hear this from me. You're a man. You're a strong man and you're a good man. Mm. So I would like to be remembered. Mm. As a strong, good, meaning godly man. Mm. Final two questions. If you could have a holy smoke with any three people throughout history, living or deceased, who would they be? Can't name Jesus. <laughs> Everybody says Jesus. No, I took that off the table right away. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. I, don't, I don't want anyone to feel any kind of religious sure, sure, obligation. Sure. <laughs> right, you're like, oh, I didn't say Jesus, I'm going to hell. So three people throughout history. Living or deceased, could be still alive. Wow. I've, I've had people say family members. I've had, had people say ancestors. I think I even had one person say a fictional character from a book, but. I think, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna roll with it. G.K. Chesterton. Ethan Nicole will be very happy to hear that. <laughs> Ethan's a buddy that used to be the creative director for Babylon Bee. He's now working for Daily Wire. And uh, he has a group in Southern California called the Chestertonians. Really? And they study Chesterton every, was it Wednesday, I think, or Tuesday or Thursday? I was there one time for a Chestertonians meeting. Wow, it was cool. It was just cool. intriguing, right? Like it's, it's just captivating. I would say um, George Washington, just the leadership and that there's, there's many things that are going on right now that, that I'm just embarrassed about to where these guys would just pass out if they saw what was going on with their nation. But just to get you know an obvious uh, you know figure from our history that was a leader that was selfless. You should said, you should l listen to the Washington biography. I think it's Ron Chernow. 
I think Ron Chernow's it was it was a recent biography and it was so good. He was a fascinating human really? being. That I mean that absolutely would just, fascinating. That'd be an amazing thing for my growth to just inspire me to just do way more right now, right in this time, for a time such as this. And the third one, this is kind of surprising me because I, I again I wouldn't pick this; it just popped in my mind. Um, I'm intrigued with Jordan Peterson. I say he's either the next C.S. Lewis or the, he's the Antichrist, and I haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> it's just, he's a guy he can captivate young people. So something about him, and I don't know where he lands in his in his in his faith. I know that it, I heard an interview one time that really kind of threw me for a loop because there were several different religions, and everybody said the same thing. He's one of us. He just doesn't know it yet, which kind of scared me because there's like you know. There's, there's Muslims that are like, he's actually a Muslim. He just hasn't made the commitment. And I'm like, I say the same thing about Christianity. So I don't know where he is. But God's using him for something right now, whether he's you know fully in or not. He's definitely speaking to lots of people Masses. within the church, outside of the church, other yeah. faiths. And I've heard that, you know, I've heard pastors and, and, and the Christian faith uh, kind of kick him to the turf. If, if there's that much going on, it needs to be looked at and say, what is it about it that he's doing that we're not doing? Not that you need to chase him down the street, but man, he's he's making people better. He's just not finishing, right? So there's that ABC that always be closing. Yeah. One more sentence and those people would be eternally better. They'd be saved eternally, right? So it's just, for example, when he says, he really grabbed my, my soul when people were talking about, he was talking about men being dangerous, but he used the word formidable. He said, men should be formidable because it reminds everybody where to step. And I was like, that's exactly right. It's exactly the right word to raise my son, to not be abusive, to not be dangerous in a bad way, but yes, be dangerous and be formidable, right? There's certain things you don't do in my presence, period. And then they don't. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there's a, an opportunity right there with that little girl, but I can't take it because Jimmy's in the room. That's right. That's mm-hmm. exactly right. Other than that, you're the safest guy in the room, and this is the safest place we could possibly be, but there's lines you don't cross, mm. right? If men can't do that, then why not do it, mm. right? So that would be an interesting... I'd take up smoking for that conversation. <laughs> Last question. Jimmy, if we're meeting one year from today, and I have a bottle of your favorite whatever, beer, wine, whiskey, bourbon, what are we celebrating? What are we celebrating? We're celebrating with my book published on the table. We're celebrating we the headquarters of a, a safe place that, that makes men and women stronger in many aspects of the word that my children work out because I'm feeling a call to draw them closer as the world pursues them. I need them closer to me to not just see dad at home, but to see dad at work in this community he's been blessed with to where people come in and do classes on how to protect children, how to be a stronger man and woman, how to model that for a world that needs it and to bring back honor in the way they talk, the way they act. God gave us all of this. We can get creative and we can use four-wheel drives and motorcycles and those Rocky Mountains to show our kids how to live. And, um, and you know, the, um, you know, the podcast is born out of that. The, uh, a, a TV show much like Duck Dynasty that had a root. It's funny, I tell my guys that are working on this because we're just, you know, as we work on it, I go, I wanted to start like Magnum PI and end like G.I. Joe. Do you, are you familiar with both? Oh, yeah. So Magnum PI, if you remember, you would hear Thomas Magnum talking to kind of set the stage. Then there was the meat of the show. And then G.I. Joe finished. Do you remember how it finished? With uh, like a lesson, right? Like a lesson. Now you know. And knowing is half the battle, right? Yep, yep. It just means that every time you watched it, you were better, right? So this garbage you watch now, I, you know, 
I'm probably dumber and less of a man for watching this show, you know what I mean? Whereas what if every time you watched, you were like, you know, I never thought about that. And the next time you get in a jam, you pull up a, a truth. You know, you say true words because of something that somebody modeled for you and it makes your life better and those around you. So, so that's what we'd be celebrating. Knowing Jimmy Graham is half the battle. Jimmy, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for being on the Lily Folks podcast. Appreciate you, brother. Thanks for having me. Hey everyone, I wanted to announce that we have Holy Smokes gear. That's right, we have swag. We currently have hats, shirts, stickers, like for your vehicle or your travel humidor, magnets, even branded bourbon glasses for a limited time. Go to holysmokes.club and click on the shop tab. That's holysmokes.club. I'm super proud of the shirts. They're made with Bella Canvas shirts that are soft and incredibly comfortable. The hats fit wonderfully, which can be a problem for those of us with big noggins. We plan on having a lot more to offer, like Guayabara shirts, additional t-shirt designs, beanies, polos, hoodies, cigar accessories, and much more. Check it out. And even if you don't make a purchase now, be sure to sign up for that email list, as I've thrown a couple big discount coupon codes for those exclusively on that list. So click the shop tab at holysmokes.club. Thanks.